Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. John chapter 21, 1 Peter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the letter F, follow the way of Christ. Would you pray with me? Savior, I'm looking forward to what you're going to do here at South Bay, and I can't wait till you bust these doors open with people that want to know you. And I am looking forward, God, to great things, because you're a great God. And one of the greatest things that you're doing right now is that you brought all of these incredible saints of yours to this building on a Thursday night, those listening online, because they hunger and thirst for the Word of God. With a million other things that could be going on in L.A. tonight, they chose this place. So I'm asking, would you bless us with spiritual ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus began his ministry with two words. When he was speaking to the disciples and called them, he said this, follow me. Now, I know that we've got a couple of issues with those two words. Maybe it's a personal issue or maybe a spiritual issue. Let me explain. My dog, Blue, 120 pounds, he's a Bernese mountain dog. And I decided to buy him a new bed. So I went to Costco, I bought the new bed, and I brought it home. I put it down by the couch where he sleeps. He walked over to the bed, sniffed it, and ran away in abject fear. I looked at him, I said, Blue, it's a bed. Just go on it. Like he can understand what I'm saying, I'm sure. And maybe I'm thinking he's going to respond back like Balaam's donkey, which I believe one day possibly he could. And so I'm talking to him, and so I finally decide, let me go on the bed. So here I am, okay, a human being. I am now sitting on the dog bed, and I lie down in it, and I go, come on, Baloo, come on. You can lie just like I am. Follow me. Look what I'm doing. Baloo comes up, sniffs it, and runs away again. Something has traumatized this dog about this bed. I don't know what it is, but he will not go near it. So I'm still there, and I'm saying to him, come on, come on, would you just come (coughs) and lie down? He says, he says. (laughs) I looked over for a year for Pastor Zach, because I always tell him that my dogs talk to me. And he says to me, you realize that's a problem? Like, you know, so thankfully I don't see him, so that's good. All right, and so... Um, I get off the bed and I said, okay, Blue, it's your turn. Go over to the bed and lay down on it. I did it for you. Now you do it. You know what he did? He walked up to it, sniffed it, grabbed it by its, his mouth, moved it across the room, and then went to the very spot where he always lays down where the bed used to be and laid down. <laughs> out of my mouth, I said, you are so dumb. And the Lord spoke to me. Now, whenever you say you are so dumb and the Lord gets your attention, that's a problem. He said, Chet, 
How many times have I asked you to follow me and you're afraid? You're looking at you. You are so dumb. Now, Jesus didn't say that to me. I, don't, I felt it, but I don't believe he said it. I think that's the problem we have with the two words. If I follow you, like, will you send me to Africa? If I follow you, like, do I have to lay down my life? If I follow you, like, what does this mean? Sacrifice? I mean, I like my life. I like my comfort. I like my convenience. Follow you didn't seem to go so well for the disciples. I mean, every time you went in the boat, there was some kind of storm. I mean, somewhere along the line, one of the disciples should have stood up and said, I'm not going in that boat anymore. I mean, seriously, Jesus, follow you? Mark chapter 1, verse 17, take a look what he said to the disciples. Jesus says to them, follow me, there's our problem, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, this word follow has a very different meaning in the 21st century as it has in the 1st century. Because you can follow your friends on social media. And you could have 5,000 followers And that means that they're your friends and you have an intimate connection with these people that are following you. I mean, they follow you. And I know this term has been watered down in the 21st century. But when someone said in the first century, follow me, it meant give up your life and now choose the life I want for you. There's our problem. What's amazing to me, turn to John chapter 21, is the way that Jesus began his ministry is the way that he ended his ministry. Look at John chapter 21. We'll pick it up there in verse 18. John chapter 21, we know the scene. Jesus is restoring Peter back. Do you love me? Do you love me? You know I love you. You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. I'm actually hurt now that you've asked me three times. So we find ourselves in the middle of this scene after the resurrection. It's John chapter 21. Once again, we'll pick it up in verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. In other words, that's John describing himself, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Maybe you'll underline in in your Bible, you follow me. In chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to go where you don't want to go. Do you remember when you told me that I'll never go to the cross? Do you remember when you told me, not you, Lord, and I said, get thee behind me, Satan? There's going to be a day, Peter, when they gird you, when they tie you up, and they take you to the very cross that you didn't want me to go to. That's what Jesus is telling Peter. Church history tells us that in Rome, they crucified Peter's wife in front of him 
And then they crucified Peter upside down. He makes it very clear to Peter, there is a cost if you want to follow me. He makes it very clear to Peter, there is a cost. You see, in verse 19, he spoke this concerning the kind of death that he would glorify God. You see, this follows, this, this follows Jesus telling him what kind of death he was going to have. He's clearly defining that following Jesus would cost him his life. Paul got this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified. I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just in our recent 10-year history, there in Iraq, as they were taking those Christians to the beach to behead them, one of them asked, aren't you afraid to die? do you realize we're going to cut your head off? And the Christian responded, I'm dead already. Christ lives through me. Think about that, Christian. I have been crucified with Christ. Pastor Chet, (laughs) I brought a friend. I told him you're really cool and funny. (laughs) This is not cool and funny. Like, this is not what I want my friend. I mean, I'm a little squirmy in my seat. I've just started. This is the intro. And there in verse 20, it's so easy for us to get distracted from this follow. So Peter looks around and he goes, what about John? What about John? I mean, what about the disciple whom you love? It's so easy to get distracted from when Jesus is telling you the cost of what it means to follow him. What about my job? What about my wife? What about my husband? What about my children? What about this? What about this? What about that? We do the Peter move all the time. Because when Jesus says to us, follow him, and it means that we have to die, How many of us want to divert Jesus' attention to a different subject? Follow me. He makes it very clear there in verse 23, I've asked you to, in verse 22, I've asked you to underline it. You follow me. This is a personal call to everyone that's sitting in this auditorium, to myself and everyone that's listening online. You follow me. The Holy Spirit was very careful at the end of John's book to make sure he personalized it for everybody that read it. You follow me. So what does it mean to follow? Take a look at the screen. It's Mark chapter 8. We've got to define Mark chapter 8. Look what he says. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me or follow me, let him take a look. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? In other words, there's nothing worth more than giving your life up for the gospel. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Did you read it? Listen to what our Savior says is a requirement for following. He says, let him deny himself. That means we surrender. We wave the flag and we give to the master. Take up his cross. There involves sacrifice. There involves suffering. And then he says, and follow me. It involves servitude. Our service to the master. Peter, in Mark chapter 8, Peter, he didn't want to hear this. You see, we're going to study it just this coming week. Peter says, oh, not you, Lord. Jesus makes it very clear. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Peter goes, no, 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 not you, Lord. Satan comes into the scene and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter didn't want Jesus to surrender to the heart of God. He didn't want Jesus to suffer on the cross. He didn't want Jesus to serve in this manner. That's human tendency. Human tendency is always to define what follow means in a comfort and convenient way. And the Lord rebuked, the, rebuked Satan because this is a satanic tool. You see, if you remember, just prior to this moment, it was Peter that said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. There was absolutely nothing wrong with Peter's theology. The problem was his methodology. There was nothing wrong. Peter knew the word. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He didn't know the methodology of Jesus that suffering leads to glory. Suffering, now every athlete knows this, but when it comes to spiritual things, we don't like to follow it. Every athlete knows that practice hurts. Every athlete knows that you go home sore and you may throw up at practice. Every athlete knows and they're willing to sacrifice whatever it costs, even chocolate cake, to make the weight as a wrestler. I will do whatever it takes so I can wrestle in this weight because I am, don't care about the suffering. I want the glory of winning the match. But when it comes to Christianity and Jesus says, practice is hard. Oh, Jesus, you are sweet, gentle, and mild. There's no hard about Jesus. Try being a pastor. Try being a Christian. You... Follow me. Well, Peter came to the place where he understood this. He came to the place where he grasped this truth. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll see as he encourages the suffering church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll pick it up in verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll pick it up there in verse 20. For what credit is it if... When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, 
Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Listen to what he's saying. Suffering is a normal part of following. Christ led an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, no, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in t- return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Stop there, if you would. Peter lets us know, I get it. I now understand what it means to follow. Jesus set the example in his suffering. and The pursuit of becoming like him, following his example, is exactly what every Christian should be chasing after. And what Peter does is he faithfully describes what it means, to ch- what we need to chase after. And if you take a look with me, and maybe you'll underline it in your Bible, he says there in verse 24 that we, having, number one, died to sin, number two, might live for righteousness. Died to sin? If you're taking note, you got to be born again to get this you got to be born again to get this. You see, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you don't have the mind of Christ. So it's going to be very difficult for you to hear, suffering leads to glory. But if you're born again, you've been given the mind of Christ. And you get it. You recognize that suffering leads to glory. Let me explain. We wouldn't think this way if it wasn't for the fact that we were born again. And the evidence that we have the mind of Christ is that you're now thinking different. You're now acting different. You're now behaving different. My assistant in Montana, his name was David. David was the holiest person I've ever met in my life. My life. We were in Liberia at a pastor's conference, and he wasn't there for 24 hours. And it was Christmas time, and the UN, in all of their wisdom, promised the rebels 50 US dollars if they turned in their weapons before Christmas. When they came, all thousands of them to one location with weapons to get their $50, the UN then said, you have to go through six weeks of training and then we'll give you your $50. Now just imagine a bunch of rebel kids having M16s, AK-47s, and rocket launchers waiting for their $50 and now they're mad. It went over great. Week before Christmas, chaos breaks out in Liberia. Our car gets stolen, and I think in all of my wisdom, I'm going to go get it. So I hop in a car, and I start running after this car that's got rebels in it with weapons. I get to a rebel checkpoint with David, and all of a sudden, about 300 rebels come up from the side of the road, and we're in the middle of an ambush. 
rebel walks up to me through the windshield with an M16, just like this, walking towards the windshield. Now, just imagine the moment. I'm being pulled out of the car. This is your pastor's story. This isn't like, hey, let me tell you a story of a friend of mine. This has happened to me. I'm holding on to the steering wheel because I know if they take me outside, I'm dead. I'm holding on the steering wheel. Then my feet are outside. They're taking my shoes off. They're ripping my pants off. Like the whole deal. All of a sudden, I hear pow. Our back window gets blown out. Bullet goes through. And I scream to David, who's in the back seat, are you dead? He goes, I'm not dead. Drive, brother, drive. So I took off. I don't know if I hit anybody. (laughs) That's my guilt. The UN was escaping the same time we were in a 10-ton lorry. We, I put my little Toyota Tercel. Do you remember the Toyota Tercels with the hatchback? I put my little Toyota, we called it the mobile because it didn't have a muffler and it sounded like this. I put my little Toyota Tercel in front of the 10-ton lorry. I do a U-turn and I just take off. A rebel jumps on the windshield of the car, puts his M16 through the window that's blown out right at my forehead. I take off. I'm driving, okay? I slam on the brake. God bless him. He rolls off. I don't know what happened. (laughs) He rolls off the hood of the car. I go, God bless you. And I take off. Okay, we've been shot at. We've been ambushed. I forgot to mention, a guy walks up to David, opens up his car door, and puts a nine-inch blade in David's face. Okay, so this has all happened to us. David has never been to Africa, ever, in his life. He's not even there for more than, I don't think we were there for 16 hours yet, and this was his experience. We get back to the mission, we get out of the vehicle, and David looks at me and he goes, would you like a glass of water? (laughs) I said, excuse me? He goes, would you like a glass? No. Do you know what just happened to us? He goes, I'm going to get you a glass of water. He goes to the house, brings a glass of water, and I pour it out in front of him. And I said to him, David, you've lost your mind. I go, I can't drink this just like David couldn't drink the water that his men went and got water for him. I go, you've got to have a glass of water. I'm going to drink a glass of water. Now we're arguing over a glass of water. I'm going to go get you another glass of water. (laughs) We get back from Liberia and we go out with some of his friends. And they start telling me, David, you've changed. You're so different. You're so mean and angry, and you had a truck driver's mouth. I'm listening to this. I couldn't believe it. I even said, David, they're lying. No, they're right. I used to go to the bar. I used to do all of everything. That's not true. You're the guy that we were in Liberia and got shot at, and you looked at me and said, would you like a glass of water? <laughs> Let me explain what happens. You see... When you die to sin and you choose to follow Christ, the evidence is a completely changed life. 
You've laid down your life, and now Christ is flowing through you. And then Peter says, I get it. You got to live to righteousness. Now, this is a choice. It's a choice to put off the old person. It's a choice to put off the old person. It's a purpose about pace, about face, of the things of the world to the things of the word. And I'm going to choose to forsake the world so that I can follow the word of God, Jesus Christ. You see, anything that is not like Jesus in our life, we are willing to get rid of so we can become more like him. Follow me. Paul's such a great example of this. Let me describe who Paul was. He used to be Saul, just like David used to be truck driver mouth, okay? Saul was on his way to Damascus. Do you remember? Saul was on the road to Damascus, and he was going to Damascus to hurt Christians. Let me prove it to you. Prior to this, Stephen was martyred. That was the intent of the great apostle Paul. Death and destruction. Paul, he even describes himself like a truck driver's mouth. Now, if you're a truck driver, I should probably move away from that. Um, I love you. I'm glad you're here and you've been redeemed. Okay, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Let me come up with a new one. Um, Let me offend everybody. A secretary's mouth. Okay, you know. All right, let's go on. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, look how Paul describes himself. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Does that sound anything like the character of Jesus? Let me read again. A blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent. You know what that word insolent means? Violent. I was a violent man. None of that sounds like Jesus. And Jesus, in his grace and mercy, shows up on the road to Damascus, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds with two questions. The first was this. Who are you, Lord? He was immediately converted. Immediately. His second question was this. What do you want me to do? First, he makes the decision, you're my Lord. I believe. Second, he seeks direction. I will follow. This is a disciple. It's no different than Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They make a decision, you're Lord, and they make a decision, I'm going to follow. And this is a great model for us. First, we make the decision. You're Lord of my life. Let me tell you what Lord means, master. You're in control. I'm not. Second, we make the decision. Tell us what to do. I will follow you. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? But here's the part we don't like. Prior to this Damascus Road experience, God knocked on a guy's heart by the name of Ananias. Hey, Ananias, I need you to go to the street street called Straight. There's a guy there by the name of Saul. I need you to lay hands on him. (gasps) Him? Do you know what he did to Stephen? 
I can't go there. <gasps> Please don't make me do it, Jesus. Ananias, go. And then in chapter 9, verse 16, God tells Ananias this. He's my chosen servant, and I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. There's our problem with follow me. There's our 21st century problem with follow me. You see, Paul, he would follow Jesus no matter what. He did such an exemplary job of following through the suffering that he said to the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he told the church in Corinth. Because no matter where Jesus told him to go, no matter what Jesus told him to do, Paul was going to do it. All we have to do is look at Paul's life and we can see the surrender that Jesus asked of him. We can see the suffering that Jesus asked of him. We can see the serving that Jesus asked of him in Mark chapter 8. If you don't believe me, go home tonight with a little bit of homework. And I want you to read Acts chapter 26 through 28. Paul is going through the worst nightmare of his life, 14 days on the ocean and did not see the sun. 14 days, and they end up in a shipwreck. He has to swim. And what I love about this is surfing is in the Bible. He, had to, he, he jumped on a board and basically surfed into the beach. I <laughs> love that part of the Bible. Gets on the beach, and he's not moaning, whining, and complaining. He's gathering firewood to make a fire for the other sailors that wanted him dead. And as he's gathering the firewood, a snake comes out and bites him, and the people around him go, oh, he must have been a murderer. That's why he's about to die. But he doesn't die. He lives. And then a revival breaks out on this island because Paul chose to follow Jesus. He chose to surrender. And he chose to surrender by being on this cruise because Jesus told him that he had to minister in Rome. And so when he was in front of the court there in Israel, he said, I appeal to Caesar because he was going to follow Christ no matter what. His sacrifice is evident. The sailors wanted him dead, and he chooses to get firewood after he swims in and make a warm fire for the sailors that wanted him dead. He chose to follow. Serve? While he's on the boat, he's praying for the very sailors that want to kill him, that God would sustain their lives, and then he passes out food to each one of them during the storm. He chose to follow. Paul lives an exemplary life and had every right to say, follow me as I follow Christ. But that scripture is not there just for Paul. It's there for us. We should be able to say to the people around us, follow me as I follow Christ. Take a look at my life and do what I am asking you to do. You see, this qualifies as fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 28. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. Be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. They did in the first church. Take a look. It's Acts chapter 24, Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They did it because Jesus asked them to follow him in it. Then look what they did. Then fear came upon every soul. In other words, they wanted to follow. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed, all the faithful were together and had all things in common. Look how they sacrificed. Sold their possessions and goods. We don't want the world. We want the word. And divided them among all as anyone had need. Do you see the surrender? Do you see the sacrifice? Do you see the service they chose to follow? So what I want us to do is dissect Paul's life just a little bit. And I want us to take this spiritual concept of follow me, and I'd like to make it very practical for us. Turn with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at Paul's life, this man who said, follow me as I follow Christ, and let's dig into Paul's life a little bit to be able to understand what practically does this mean. I'm going to give you eight principles. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in, excuse me, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Let me tell you something my mom said. If you're not going through persecution and suffering, you are no one for the enemy to worry about. He knows you're a sideline Christian, and he might as well leave you on the sideline instead of stir you up a little bit. Because all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, God's will for you, be persecuted. Now, I need to define persecution. Persecution is not you're at work, and your your workmate says, would you pray for me? Boss comes by and it's 9.15, and you're supposed to be working, and your boss comes by and sees you praying on work time, and you get fired. You should be fired. Because you're not living an exemplary Christian life. If you're using your boss's time to pray for the employee, that's not the Christian ethical way to live a Christian life. But if you say to the employee, hey, we've got a break at 10.30. I'll meet you sacrificially during my break time at the break room, and there in the break room, I'll make the sacrifice surrendering my break time. I would love to pray for you. You see, if in the break time, the boss comes by and says, you're not allowed to pray here, that's persecution. That's where he's coming or she's coming to get you. But you've got to make a difference. Every time you go through something, if you do something wrong, Peter says, if you suffer for doing something wrong, you should suffer. But if you suffer for doing something right, that's like Jesus. And so Paul was suffering in perilous times because he was doing the right thing. He was preaching the gospel. 
Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Now, speaking to Timothy, he gives us eight practical things of what it means to follow. But you have certainly followed. Remember he said, follow, my, follow me as I follow Christ. You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. In other words, everywhere I went, I got persecuted. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. Let's write them down. First one he says is doctrine. This word is the word teaching. If you're taking note, the first principle is this. If you want to follow Jesus, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to what he taught. It's on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. While he was still speaking there at the Mount of Transfiguration, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, or listen to him. Listen to him. Do you remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus always ended the letters with, if you have ears to hear? In other words, if you're spiritual, you'll get it. If you're spiritual, you'll get what I'm saying. And I need to explain something. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Have you ever been talking to someone and you know they're not listening to you? It's the most frustrating thing in the world, isn't it? Like you're pouring out your heart. It's like my wife. I love her to death. My wife can't stay awake past 9.15. She discipled a girl for a year. That girl showed up at 9 o'clock every Thursday for a year. She's right here. Tell the truth, Audrey. 9 o'clock, she knows. And that girl would come every Thursday at 9 o'clock, and at 9.15, this was Andrea. Well, the Lord wants you to. And Diana would just be right there and just watch her fall asleep. And she, was, she would look at me and she goes, it's just so cute. That's why I come every Thursday. It's just so cute. But she's not discipling you. I know, but I just like to be with her. And then she'd wake up. That's what I was saying. I was telling you. So here I am, okay? I'm lying in bed, pouring out my heart. And I hear this. Andrea? I'm listening. <laughs> I love her. Now, I, if I have anything meaningful to say, it happens at eight or it doesn't happen at all, okay? I've learned. It's 30 years of marriage. I love her, so I want to accommodate. It's like going to your kids. They're watching their favorite program. Hey, can you take out the trash? Uh-huh. You come back like five minutes later. Why didn't you take out the trash? Your kids go, you never asked me. They heard, but they didn't listen. You see, having ears to hear, listening to Jesus means we are purposing to drown out everything in our life that keeps us from listening. Whatever it is that keeps us from listening, we're drowning it out because we want the loudest voice to be Jesus. You know what Jesus says? My sheep know my voice. They know my voice. 
Secondly, Paul says, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. Timothy, you've been faithful to follow my manner of, uh, uh, my, my conduct. You've been faithful to follow my conduct. Now, look at this. Matthew chapter 28. Let me show you the conduct of Jesus. He said this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what Jesus is concerned about. And if you're going to follow him, Jesus is very concerned about seeking and saving the lost. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 10, he said, listen, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Someone asked me one time, hey, every Sunday you give the gospel, are you ever embarrassed when no one comes forward? I laughed. And I responded like the Apostle Paul who was in front of the great Roman Empire and said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then I responded to this person. I said this, I'm not embarrassed at all for myself. I'm embarrassed that you haven't brought anyone to hear the gospel. They weren't at this church. You see, the conduct of Christ, he is unashamed, no matter where he is, no matter what he's doing, to communicate the gospel. I was a missionary. I was with a missionary on my way to Malawi. We were at the counter. She handed him a ticket, and he said, I have a ticket for you. You do? Oh, this is the best ticket you'll ever receive. This is a vacation beyond vacation. She's like, are you serious? And he's just pulling her in. And then he says, it's heaven. And you need Jesus. And she laughed. And he looked with all sincerity at her and said, this is not a laughing matter. It's your eternity. To a woman who was giving him a ticket to go to Malawi. You could drop a penny and this guy could come up with a way to give the gospel. Because that's what Jesus does. It's his conduct. Thirdly, he says, you've been faithful to follow my manner of life. My manner of life. John chapter 12, verse 26. Take a look with the screen. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Listen, if you're taking note, number three, serve him. Paul was a servant. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And Paul He followed the example of Jesus. Now, it's interesting. In John chapter 12, he says, where I am. Now, what you need to understand is that John chapter 12, Jesus makes it very clear. The words I speak to you are spiritual. So Jesus isn't saying that where I am geographically. He's saying where I am spiritually. So since I surrendered my life for you, I expect you to follow me. 
and surrender your life for other people. Since I suffered on the cross for you, I expect you to follow me and pick up your cross and follow me. And we need to understand, picking up the cross is a decision to lay down your life for the gospel. So many people use the term inappropriately. Well, I'm carrying my cross. Does it have anything to do with the gospel? Or is it just a hard life situation that you're walking through? You see, picking up your cross is suffering for the gospel's sake. No longer choosing to live your way, but letting Christ live through you. Jesus says, since I served the Father at all costs, I expect you to follow me and serve God no matter what he asks you to do. Paul says to Timothy, you've been faithful to follow my faith. My faith. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. The Bible says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you're taking note, number four, obey him. We're to walk by faith. And what Jesus is doing is defining what a walk of faith looks like. It's someone who doesn't walk in darkness. For following after Jesus. And I was speaking, teaching the sermon to Pastor Zach earlier, and I told him, I'm, I, I'm struggling with number four, and so I'm going to have to confess to everybody, this one's a hard one for me when I say this, that there's nothing in us that purposely wants to do things that Jesus doesn't want us to do. Like when he says, forgive them, you do it. When he says, go to Africa, you do it. When he says, quit your job, you do it. When he says, don't marry this person, you don't marry him. How many of us, how many of us, we got things in our life that we know the truth but we're just ignoring it a little bit. Number four is convicting for me. Number five, he says, you've been faithful to follow my long-suffering or my patience. Mark chapter 9, take a look at Jesus. Mark 9, 22. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, this is the father who is explaining about the epileptic son. The Pharisees and and the disciples weren't able to heal him. He's gone to Jesus now. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The father responds and says this, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? See, the father is struggling with faith. He admits it. And we've got to admit if we've got some trust issues with the Lord when it comes to following him. Because what Jesus will do with our humility is he'll build your faith just like he's building this father's faith. Can you have the patience to trust God and wait on the Lord 
if he doesn't show up when you want him to? Can you just trust him? This is why the weight is so important with God. Patience. You've been faithful to follow my patience. You see, he's more concerned about making you a person of faith than he is giving in to what you want. He's more concerned about raising you up to be conformed into his image than he is concerned about meeting your need. Because most times, what we think are needs are just wants. Jesus heals the boy. He said all things are possible. And the father waited on Jesus, trusting him through the process. Number six, he says, you've been faithful to follow my love. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to love him. And Jesus described the kind of love that looks like following him. Take a look, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. With all your heart, you actually want to. You actually want to. With all your soul, you have a deep longing to overpower your feelings to choose faith. With all of your mind, you make the mental decision, I'm going to follow. With all your strength, you're like the widow. You give everything you've got. You give it your best effort. Number seven, you've been faithful to follow my perseverance or my steadfastness. It's Colossians chapter four. Look what we need to be steadfast in. Continue steadfastly, earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Take a look at this now. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly, say it with me, in You've been faithful to follow. That's why Paul says our prayer life must be without ceasing. It was for Jesus. He prayed all night long in Luke chapter 6. He woke up before the sun woke up in Mark chapter 1. He was constantly going to the Father because he was dependent on him. Now, praying without ceasing isn't weird. It's spiritual. I was talking to a girl, uh, a young lady, a young lady, Uh, several years ago. And while I'm talking with her, this is what she does. We're in the middle of a conversation. Jesus, what do you think about that? What do you think about what he's saying? What do you think about what's going on with Pastor Chet? I don't know what I think. Hold on, I'm talking to Jesus. And And I'm like watching her go, this is weird. Because when Jesus said we pray, we should go into a closet. That doesn't mean there's not corporate prayer. It means we need to be in constant communication with him. And what it expresses steadfastly is we're dependent. Now, praying without ceasing doesn't mean that I don't work, I don't play, I don't do anything. All I do is pray. That is not pray without ceasing. 
Pray without ceasing is that I am in the constant place of recognizing I'm dependent on Jesus at every turn. And because I'm so quick to forget to pray, I have prayer reminders all over L.A. Billboards that remind me to pray for this. Signs that remind me to pray for that. My own street, Patton Avenue, reminds me to pray for something. I pass, uh, uh, oh, someone help me. I always say Little Mary full of grace. What's the hospital in San Pedro? <laughs> Little Company of Mary. It's my recovering Catholic self, I guess. I don't know. And I always pray. We've got several nurses that work in that hospital, and I pray for them by name. And I've used these things on my way home to remind me to pray. When I walk, in my, when I walk into this church, I pray for you. I use the door as an opportunity to remind me as it's opening, Lord, would you open the eyes of the church to see the truth of your word? Understand, I put things in place so that I don't forget to pray because in my humanity, pray without ceasing could be a problem. Number eight, this is the rough one. You've been faithful to follow me in my persecutions and afflictions or my suffering. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, take a look. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, read it with me, but also to suffer. Okay, only about three of you read it. So I looked up online to find a sermon series on suffering saints. Couldn't find one. Found a lot on how to be happy. Found a lot on the blessed Christian life. But you don't find a lot about suffering in the 21st century church. This doesn't sell CDs. Nobody listens to this podcast like no one reads the book of Job. Because suffering's not popular in the 21st century church. But the first century church saw it so differently. They actually saw it as a favor from God. They saw it as a favor. Either Paul was messed up in his mind or he understood Jesus well. In Romans chapter 5, he says this. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. Exclamation point. And then in verse 3, he says this, and not only that, we get to suffer. Paul, something is wrong with you. You're excited about suffering? Yes, he is. Because he recognizes an opportunity to be like Christ. In the second letter, Paul says to Timothy, you've been faithful to follow. We get to heaven, well done, good, and faithful. For the history of the church It is known of Timothy that he was faithful to follow.
Don't you want that to be your testimony? Don't you want to meet the Apostle Paul and him look at you and say, you were faithful to follow my manner of life and I follow Christ. See, when the Holy Spirit put in John 21, you follow me. It was for every single one of us in this room. Now you get to choose. Let me tell you something. It will cost you your life. But you will finally find life. I don't know if you know this about me. I never wanted to be a pastor. Never. I wanted to be a doctor. I got a bachelor's of science in biology started my master's in virology and applied to 10 medical schools, took my MCAT and was on my way to USC. And God said, no. Can I tell you something? I still want to be a doctor. This pastor thing. Do you know the money I could have as a doctor? Like patients, you see them in, in the hospital, you go home. You people call me all hours of the night. <laughs> You're happy about it. No, listen. I really still want to be a doctor. Well, God bless you, but let me finish. My point is this. I've surrendered my personal passion and desire. And I thought I was going to be miserable. And I gave up what I wanted in my life for what Jesus wanted in my life. And I've never been more fulfilled. And you know what else? I realized I don't even like the sight of blood. I would have been a horrible doctor. You would have come in. I would have passed out. (laughs) Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. And my prayer is that everyone would know in here that if we follow you, it will cost us our life. But what we gain is eternal. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.